Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. No wonder GameBridge has earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Yokohama tires. Go to TireRack.com sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. I am overwhelmed because we are in the middle of absolute Little League bedlam. We had so many different rain delays that I feel like I'm in the middle of a Major League Baseball season right now. I can barely look up. we got games going in every direction. That is what is going on in my life. We begin with a news story that over the past couple of days has swept across all of the entirety of the NFL. And I know we had the schedules come out. And there was a great deal of discussion about the schedule and uh, who's going to win games and over-unders and everything else and best first week of the season and all those things. We talked about all that. But Tim Tebow now, remember this story initially broke that he was working out or had worked out for the Jacksonville Jaguars at the tight end position. And it since has continued to grow, even as the Aaron Rodgers story and drama, which we will continue to follow uh, throughout the course of this show, because we cannot avoid mentioning Aaron Rodgers no matter what, even as that story has maybe start to hit the back burner a little bit because there hasn't been any new news stories, everybody has been weighing in with their Tim Tebow hot takes. It's like hopping into the uh, Back to the Future machine and going back to about, what, 2000 and... 10-ish when everybody had such massively interesting takes about Tim Tebow. And so let me start here. I've covered Tim Tebow 
ever since he was a freshman at the University of Florida. In fact, the first book that I wrote, Dixieland Delight, about SEC college football, which was published in 2007, I met Tim Tebow in the Swamp, which is a, uh, I think it was the Swamp. It might have been a different name place then. They probably don't still exist there. But this was about 15 years ago. When he was a true freshman, Tim Tebow had started to take the SEC by storm and become a super uh, popular and a iconic figure in SEC football. Sophomore year, he is the starter for the entire year. By the way, as a freshman, Florida Gators in 2006 win a national championship under Urban Meyer. Chris Leak is the starting quarterback that year. For those of you out there who may have forgotten sort of the trajectory of Tim Tebow's football career. 2007, the Gators lose several games, but Tebow is an absolutely incredible force. And the Gators, he wins his, uh, he wins the Heisman Trophy. As a junior, he then comes back to I Promise speech, and they find a way to go win uh, the national championship, even though they lose to Ole Miss. And remember, in his senior year, and some of you will remember this, but a lot of people out there, it's crazy to me, have kind of forgotten the Tebow era. And all throughout this, by the way, his senior year, they end up losing in the SEC championship game. I went down to New Orleans. Uh, Tebow and the Florida Gators played against uh, the Cincinnati Bearcats in the Sugar Bowl and Tebow was electric, transcendent in that game, finished his career with the Florida Gators, and all throughout his career with the Florida Gators. Tebow's professional prospects were a major polarizing force, source of debate. Everybody debated, starting when he was a freshman, certainly when he was a sophomore, and he won the Heisman Trophy, is this a guy that projects at the next level? And Tebow was such a luminescent star. I'll never know what it was like when Elvis Presley was in any building. But at the SEC Media Days, Tim Tebow in the building was a rock star of a level as a sports star that I've never seen before. Same thing happened in the NFL. I remember Tebow coming through Radio Row, and it was like the oxygen suddenly got sucked out of the building. Everyone went bananas over Tim Tebow coming through Radio Row. So the question was, to kind of put you back in time, how does Tebow project at the NFL level? Josh McDaniels, many of you will remember Josh McDaniels and know him now as the uh, offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots. Well, back in the day, he was the head coach of the Denver Broncos, and he decided that Tim Tebow was his quarterback of the future, and he drafted him in the first round. And The opinions on Tebow were wildly divergent as to how he was going to be. Eventually, he comes in, starts playing for the Denver Broncos, winning games in an incredibly improbable, unbelievable fashion. And ultimately, it culminates with the Broncos going into the playoffs, hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers. Broncos find a way to win in overtime to Marius Thomas' touchdown pass. That is the absolute apex of Tim Tebow's NFL career. The Broncos win that Super Bowl game. Then, and Dub, you can check the data on this and make sure I'm remembering everything correctly. In that offseason, as John Elway is trying to figure out what is the future going to be with Tim Tebow in the NFL, Peyton Manning is let go by the Indianapolis Colts. He becomes a free agent. Peyton Manning considers the Titans. He considers the Broncos. He considers the 49ers, among others. 
those are some of the teams that are trying to wine and dine him and convince Manning to come play for them. And he goes, that is Peyton Manning does, to Denver, and Tebow mania is over. It just ends as quickly as you could snap your fingers the way that John Elway got out of a long-range connection to Tim Tebow was with Peyton Manning coming in to take over as the Denver Bronco quarterback. Manning has four great years. The Broncos go to two Super Bowls, win one of them to end his career. Tebow, if I remember correctly, ends up getting shipped all the way across the country to the Jets, if I'm remembering everything correctly. Doesn't really get used very much. Everything in his career kind of begins to uh, to unravel. And from there, Tebow ends up making the decision to go play Major League Baseball. Dub, am I correct off the top of my head in basically recapitulating Tim Tebow's career? Am I missing any of the uh, any of the processes along the way? No, I've been looking it up. You pretty much nailed it. And this all went down the Peyton Manning to Denver, then subsequently Tim Tebow leaving the Broncos in March of 2012. So yeah, they traded him to the Jets um, for a fourth and a, a seventh round pick. And then the Jets got a fourth and a sixth round pick. Um, So anyway, Tebow goes to New York. The idea is that they are going to figure out a way to use him. Rex Ryan, this is how far back in time it feels like, was the head coach at the time. Offensive coordinator Tony Sperano. They said they would figure out a way to use Tebow. Tebow got broken ribs early in the year. Never really played. And he was released at the end of that 2012 season. He only threw eight passes and rushed 32 times in that one year. Then you forget, people will remember this, that the Patriots decided to sign uh, Tim Tebow, and he was released right before the season began. He thanked the Patriots, and that was basically the end of his career, uh, other than a short stint with the Philadelphia Eagles in 2015. And then Tebow was done. He got released right before the start of the season for the Eagles, And his career as a quarterback in the NFL was effectively over. Then he pursues his baseball career. All right. So, during much of this time, as Tebow's uh, tenure as a quarterback was debated, discussed, it was one of the most hot-button topics in all of sports, Tebow was suggested by many that he should become a tight end. That That was a regular point of discussion. I know it's considered racist now for a mobile quarterback to be suggested that he should play another position. Everybody loses their minds when that happens. But many people for years argued that Tim Tebow should shift to tight end, that he should play H-back, that he should do something other than try to play at the quarterback position. So Tebow goes and tries to play baseball, makes it to double A, triple A, whatever it is, never makes it to major leagues. Decides to retire. He's still sitting around at 33 years old. And the question is, what is he going to do with the rest of his life? And he's such a competitive guy, I believe, that he decided he wanted to go back and now finally try to make a run of it at tight end with his old coach, Urban Meyer. So, some people out there in the woke sports media are saying, oh, this is Tim Tebow. He's an attention whore. Let me dismiss that. I don't think that's true at all. If Tebow just wanted attention, he could have had any number of reality television shows. He could have been The Bachelor. I'm not sure 
that there has ever been an NFL player, particularly in that window of 2012, 2013, 2014, that has received more attention than Tim Tebow. I certainly know that there are very few college football players that have ever received more attention than Tim Tebow. Almost no one is turning the radio dial right now while I talk about Tim Tebow because whoever you are, you probably have some form of a strong opinion surrounding Tim Tebow, all based on his athletic ability because the guy's never gotten in trouble off the field at all. So this idea that trying to become a tight end is about attention, I don't buy into it. He could continue to do television as he has with the SEC Network. He could have done reality television as I'm sure has been pitched to him at some point in time, if all he wanted was attention, he wouldn't have decided to play single and double-A baseball, which is one of the places you could go where you would receive the least attention imaginable. It's one of the least sexy ways to make a living as a professional athlete. Ask anybody who's ever ridden around on buses all over minor league baseball. I actually think, by the way, Tebow's performance as a minor league baseball player was far better than most people anticipated that he would be able to accomplish. And we, by the way, did a Tebow watch on this show back in the day when he was deciding to play minor league baseball. Jason Martin as the producer on this show for the long-term OutKick listeners. Many of you may remember when we would sit around and have those conversations. I give you all of that background for this reason. Tim Tebow is intensely competitive. I believe that he wants to squeeze every ounce of athleticism out of his body. He hasn't played the NFL several years. He knows he is no longer a quarterback. He believes, because of his relationship with Urban Meyer, that he might have an ability to play tight end, maybe for a few years, be able to continue his athletic pursuits before he's officially too old and he's not able to do it any longer. I don't see how any of this that I just walked through is anything other than than a guy who is unafraid to fail and is deciding to pursue athletics as a career for as long as he possibly can, which is, frankly, what most really good athletes want to do. They're so driven by competition that they want to continue to push themselves to the limits of their own personal ability. The reason why Tim Tebow is controversial has nothing to do with his actual play on the field and everything to do with the fact that he is an outspoken Christian. This is the truth. And many people out there don't like that Tebow is so incredibly religious in his public persona. They didn't like the fact that they even changed the NCAA rules on him because he was writing Bible verses, if you remember, in his eye black. Every game he would have a different Bible verse that he wanted to share And that upset the NCAA and many people, and they changed the rule. He knelt to celebrate uh, his savior, his religious faith, and people got angry at him. He used his platform to spread his religious faith, not in in, in a negative way, right? Like not in, in a demeaning way, but just to express his personal belief in his religious faith, which, by the way, many athletes have done before. But I believe many people out there, especially in the woke sports media, were upset by Tim Tebow. They didn't like his goody two-shoes image. They thought that it was fake, and they wanted him to fail as a result. And so Tebow, despite really doing nothing 
that is that polarizing in his entire career has become a litmus test, a national Rorschach test for many people out there to express their own personal opinions on the world using Tim Tebow as the vessel upon which to do so. Now, the hot takes have been spiraling like mad over the past several days as Tebow is potentially coming back into the NFL. One of the hot takes is comparing Tim Tebow to Colin Kaepernick. This is what many people want to do because there are a lot of people out there that are desperate to mention Colin Kaepernick at any point in time for any reason. Here's what I would say about that. Colin Kaepernick's overall ability as a quarterback, much like Tim Tebow's, no longer existed. He wasn't a high-level quarterback. You don't get beat out by Blaine Gabbert if you're a high-level quarterback. Colin Kaepernick was potentially going to be a backup quarterback for a couple of years, and then his NFL career was going to be over. Much like Tebow, he had peaked at the quarterback position, and there was nothing else left for him. Instead of that, he became a lightning rod, and he got paid tens of millions of dollars to no longer play in the NFL. Colin Kaepernick is not a victim in any way. This is a bad analogy to draw because Tim Tebow is not getting a chance at the quarterback position at all. He's changing his position to try and demonstrate that he can actually be a tight end, something that all of the Tim Tebow critics spent years telling him he should do. Now that he's finally doing it, they are upset at him for doing that as well. Bigger picture, though. Let me ask you this. Why is Tim Tebow getting criticized more for his decision to actually come back and try to play in the NFL than Deshaun Watson is for being accused of sexually assaulting 22 different women? I have heard way more people in the sports media furious at Tim Tebow, furious at Urban Meyer, furious at the Jacksonville Jaguars for making the decision for Tim Tebow to actually be able to go out and pursue his NFL career than I have anybody saying about Deshaun Watson, hey, how is this guy still on an NFL roster and having no consequences so far despite the fact that 22 different women have accused him of sexual assault? I'm a believer and what we do on this show and why this show has continued to dominate for such an extent and why we are the most listened to show anywhere in the country for morning sports talk radio, the reason why that's going on is because we apply even standards and we don't try and hide the ball on you to use our preferred narrative and advance that regardless of what the facts reflect. The reason why Tim Tebow is getting a chance is because his talents exceed his problems. I believe ultimately Urban Meyer loves Tim Tebow, knows him well, and believes that with a young team in the locker room that Tebow can be a good force for cultural positivity in the locker room. There are lots of veteran guys who get to hang on in the NFL not because they're still the best possible player, but because the culture which they imbue in the locker room 
coaches and management decide leads to a better overall success than simply having the best 53 players simply based on overall talent. My question for all of you is why is it considered controversial for Tim Tebow at the age of 33 to decide that he would like to continue to play NFL football? But everybody out there is willing to criticize him and rip him to the high heavens, but almost no one in the same group of sports media is willing to say a single negative word about Deshaun Watson, despite the fact that Watson has been accused of sexual assault by 22 different women. Dub, does this strike you as strange how much criticism of Tim Tebow there has been, despite the fact that all he's trying to do is continue his NFL career? Yeah, and another excuse or another complaint, I guess you would call it, is that he's taking a spot away from another potential younger player trying to come up. But I don't know if I, I mean, really that's buy literally that. well. First of all, that's also what everybody on every NFL roster does. Exactly. And if Urban Meyer ultimately decides that Tim Tebow is worthy of a roster spot, which by the way hasn't happened yet, that's the choice that a head coach has to make. And ultimately, I think it would be because. He believes that Tim Tebow can give him some help at the tight end position, maybe down near goal line situations. And also, bigger picture here, because he believes that Tim Tebow could be a cultural fit because he knows him well, and he likes what Tebow did when he was a Florida Gator. So I don't really see how this is remotely... Con- like I would understand it a little bit more if Tebow was making tens of millions of dollars. And as a result, the Jacksonville Jaguars were in serious salary cap jeopardy because they were overpaying someone who didn't have the talent to reflect what he was being paid. But that's not happening. Tebow's not making very much money in the grand scheme of things at all. So I just think this entire story is manufactured and some people are just angry about Tebow and they are continuing to attack him because they don't like him wearing his religion on his sleeve because they don't like what Tebow represents outside of the world of the NFL. I mean, I didn't hear anybody criticizing. Antonio Brown was accused of rape and blew up his relationships in Oakland and in Pittsburgh and in New England. And I don't hear anybody making uh, accusations about Antonio Brown not deserving to play in the NFL anymore. And I'm fine with that. I believe in second, third, fourth chances. If you have the talent and an NFL team wants to give you the talent, uh, believes in your talent, wants to give you the opportunity to play, I think that's fine. The fact that Tim Tebow is considered controversial, to me, is everything that's wrong with the sports media in general and with the incredibly lazy takes that emanate from it. This is Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. O'Reilly Auto Parts, you know, o o o O'Reilly, who are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free, in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you find just the right battery for your vehicle. When you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool, 
tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fix, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you'll find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts are knowledgeable, helpful, and best of all, friendly. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash 2pros. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash 2pros. Hey, it's Jonas Knox, and who doesn't want better sex? But if you have ED, you may be struggling and dragging your feet on solving the problem. Don't put off having a better sex life any longer. Check out Hymns Sex Shoes and bring a new level of excitement and confidence to your sex life. The process is simple and 100% online, no uncomfortable doctor's visits. No insurance is needed. Pay one low price for your treatments, online visits, ongoing shipments, and provider messaging. Hymns has hundreds of thousands of trusted subscribers, so if ED is getting you down it's time to change that start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash two pros that's h-i-m-s.com slash two pros for your personalized ed treatment options hymns.com slash two pros prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate restrictions apply see website for details and important safety information subscription required price varies based on product and subscription plan sex are compounded products and have not been approved by the FDA. The FDA does not verify the safety or effectiveness of compounded drugs. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. You make every play, you call every shot, from choosing trusted financial products to deciding how much and how long to invest, GameBridge puts the power in your hands. No wonder they've earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. They give you the tools you need to save and grow your money with reliable returns and take charge of your financial future. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. So change the game. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. You've put it off long enough. It's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort. Performance tires for sporty handling. All-terrain tires for on- and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin? Use the Tire Decision Guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from the full line of Goodyear tires. Shipped fast and free to a recommended install near you or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation they'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site it doesn't get much easier than that go to tirerackcom sports to see their goodyear test results tire ratings and consumer reviews and be sure to check out all the current special offers great tires and a great deal what more could you ask for that's tirerackcom sports tirerack.com the way tire buying should be 
We are headed up to Milwaukee right now, uh, where John Morosi is, as he's been watching the Brewers. Good news coming out, I believe, of Milwaukee. They are going to become yet another Major League Baseball stadium to open up to 100% fan attendance. This is becoming a trend that won't be until June, in theory, in Milwaukee. But, John Morosi, it seems like by July 4th, just using July 4th as a line of demarcation there, uh, as we get, I mean, by that point, fairly substantially into the uh, Major League Baseball season, Phil's pretty confident that they're going to be close to 100% in a lot of places by July 4th, given the Braves and the Rangers and many other teams will likely be at 100% far before that. I think that's correct, Clay, and certainly uh, as we've seen, the guidance from the CDC start to start to change and evolve as well, and the vaccination numbers uh, improving, which has been great, I think, to see as, as time has gone on. It's all data points that move us in that direction of seeing more more fans in the ballpark. And I have to say, the Thursday I'm, I'm in Milwaukee, and, and Corbin Burns sets a record for the most strikeouts to begin a season without walking a batter at 58. And, and just to hear the crowd again, Clay, and to hear – uh, the recognition of a home crowd, and and obviously right now it's 25 percent, but it's going to be 50 percent this weekend in Milwaukee, and then again it's 100 percent in, in June, and it's just sounding like, and you know this from having been to games yourself, it, it's starting to sound normal again, and and sounding normal doesn't mean everything's normal, but it means that we're we're moving along that continuum, and it's just the experience of being at a game again. You know, certainly last year I was very fortunate to go to a lot of games and still cover them and broadcast them, and I, I felt blessed to do it. But being here with fans is entirely different, and, and it's so much more emotionally gratifying to be around it. And, and so I, I really credit the, the teams for all the safety protocols they put in place because I, I think they're showing that when the, right, when the right precautions are there that we can have a lot of the things that we love so much about American life and our summer routines. Well, let's talk uh, about this uh, Oakland A's dilemma here. Uh, the A's basically letting it be known that if they can't get a new stadium, they are going to begin the relocation process. Let's start there. Do you think that this is a significant fact that they have basically gone public now? What are you hearing about the chances that the A's remain in Oakland? Well, Clay, it's, it's a great question, and I think that it's, it's an important story for the sport because a couple things. Number one, it's hard for me to tell what percentage chance there is right now in terms of what – uh, what this has done to move the needle, but I do believe this, that removing the Coliseum as a potential long-term site, that is a big deal. That, that probably is the biggest news of the week, to be honest with you, because when you take away what was the, the fail-safe plan, which was, hey, let's redevelop the Coliseum and make that work into a long-term viable place, what MLB and the A's have said with one voice is, that's not viable. So the only place that they're looking right now is Howard Terminal, downtown Oakland, right on the water. And, and as you know, Clay, there is, there's a, a pretty substantial amount of land, land use uh, evaluations, property issues, uh, land acquisition. To, to have a project of that size in the middle of a massive city in California is not easy. Legally, logistically, financially, it is complicated. And so the only path for Oakland, for the A's to stay in Oakland is what is – Admittedly, it's a feasible possibility, but it's very expensive and, and, and let, layered with a lot of bureaucracy. And so if that doesn't work, then I think the notion of relocating the A's is much more realistic now than it was a week ago 
because the Coliseum is out of play. And I think what we're seeing now, Clay, from baseball is they're trying to expedite the process because from this year, uh, this very challenging year from the standpoint of operations, and the CBA, as you know, is expiring after the season as well. Baseball needs answers, Clay. They need answers on Oakland and on Tampa Bay because you can't expand and grow your business and take away possible exp- uh, relocation sites unless you know what's happening with your existing 30 teams. And so they need to find some answers on Oakland and Tampa. I think that what happened this week is, is baseball moving more in the direction of getting answers on the Oakland Athletics. So how long does it take to get an answer in Oakland? Well, so, Clay, I mean, to me, there's a really important city council vote this summer. And, and basically, baseball is saying, hey, listen, we need, to, we need to have the plans, like, on our desk, in place. We need to know what, what's going on, land use, everything. Uh, and with city council support from the standpoint of the, the, the mixed use and the different uh, other residential and, and business aspects of it. And so they need to find the answer this summer. And I think that they'll be able to have a pretty good direction on it. The same thing's probably happening to a lesser extent in Tampa Bay. And what all this now means, Clay, is that baseball has to see, okay, where are these two teams going to go and have this be part of the next CBA? If the next CBA is a five-year or a seven-year deal, maybe it's five years, maybe it's six years, however long it is, you would expect that, that basically takes you almost to the end of the decade. And if you're doing things right as we emerge from the pandemic, you're, you're looking to grow your business. I think that you want to be at 32 teams by the end of the decade. So that's where, whether it's Nashville as a relocation or an expansion thing, whether it's Portland, whether it's Vegas, Montreal, Charlotte, there's enough markets that are appealing. Vancouver, B.C. has been mentioned as well. Uh, there's enough markets that are appealing, Clay, that I think that once baseball gets answers, they can then really kind of push the issue out there a lot in 2022 and start the process in a much more meaningful way. So that way we actually get to a 32-team league by around 2025, 2026. But in the interim, if the A's have to relocate, they could theoretically do that uh, maybe within the next, in the next three years or so. All right, we're talking to John Morosi. Let's, let's break down bigger picture here. I believe, you tell me if I'm wrong, that the four American cities that have been mentioned as potential expansion candidates are Nashville, Charlotte, Las Vegas, and Portland – and then you add in Vancouver and Montreal as two potential Canadian destinations. I think that's six teams that have been mentioned. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with the A's. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with Tampa Bay either. But if you were sort of handicapping this horse race based on the conversations that you have, where are the cities that potentially could be looking? Like, How would you rank and handicap those six cities? Is there anywhere else that you've heard or believe should be included in, as a part of that discussion? Yeah, it's really interesting, Clay. I mean, I think that they're, they're all appealing for different reasons. Obviously, we have to get to a point with Canada, and certainly by the time we're talking about expansion, the border, international travel is going to be a lot easier to, to conceptualize. I, I think that the Mariners, uh, from what I can tell, the Mariners are okay with having one more franchise in their neighborhood. That yes. would mean either Portland or Vancouver. That's a very important distinction because for a while, anecdotally, that wasn't always their approach. Portland, I think, it's a one-team right now, major league market with the Blazers. I've always believed that. And the thing about Portland, too, that I think is really appealing, Clay, think about all of the sponsorship partnerships with Nike and Under Armour, all these different apparel companies out in Oregon 
it, it's such an appealing place from the standpoint of like the corporate sponsors and the, and the business community there. I think Portland is a real sleeper place because you have like built-in suites that you're going to buy. And I think that's really interesting. I think the other thing, we talk about Nashville a lot, I, I, and you know it's better than me, but the amount of, of industry that's now based in, in Tennessee and, and different automotive companies that have, have major plants there that, that you, really, you could really see partnering well from a corporate standpoint and suites and infrastructure, it's also, as you know, a place where uh, it, there's such a great culture of baseball where you live there in Nashville that I think that, the, that, that you could still find a way to have a great crowd at a Vandy game and a great crowd at a national MLB game. I think, too, uh, Vegas, as we know, all as we're seeing different franchises, different leagues become more and, and more comfortable with, with sports betting. I think that makes Vegas a much more palatable place to go to, to find ways to integrate your partnerships there. And then, and then finally, I mean, I've always been a big believer in Montreal. I, I think that one thing that we talk about with rights in, in the media, Clay, that I think is, is a brilliant part of the Montreal pitch, you can sell your rights twice. It's English and French. You can double your money whenever you're selling anything, anything at all. From a media standpoint, it's twice. And that was not the culture of, of, of broadcast rights, Clay, back when they moved to D.C. in 2005. It's a different world with respect to media. And Montreal, in a way that I think is unique, truly, in North America, has a way to capitalize on that dual lingual part of, of their culture. How, I'm just kind of fascinated by the expansion concept in general. Do you buy the idea that if the Oakland A's move out of Oakland that that team needs to stay in the West? That seems to be kind of a consensus opinion. Do you buy Vegas? Do you buy Vancouver? Do you buy Portland as one of the destinations, therefore? And if the Rays were to move, then maybe that would be an East Coast team, uh, whether it's Charlotte, Nashville, Montreal, somewhere like that. Does that make sense to you uh, yeah. in terms of the uh, sort of objectively thinking about it? Well, it's an excellent question, Clay, and, and I think the answer for me is, is no. It, it should not be a deal-breaker, and here's why. A couple things. Number one, we don't know how much longer the DH is going to be around. In fact, if the DH goes away next year, then at that point in time, you've effectively lost the distinction between AL and NL baseball. Then it's much more like a conference, right? Yes. I mean, there, there's, no, there's no real need to say, oh, my gosh, what happens if we – so let's say if you move the A's – to Nashville, and this is one of the fun geographic things that we can do. If you move the A's to Nashville, and if and if and it, even theoretically, if it happens for next year, which I don't think it will, but just like let's let's take this theoretically forward. If you move the A's to Nashville next year, and there is no D, there, there's universal DH now, so you can just totally do away with with all of the other existing traditions. Well, then what's to stop you from having it in an all DH league? You put that you put that Nashville team in the same division as St. Louis, as Atlanta, as maybe Tampa Bay, and you, you kind of tighten the geography there. Maybe one of the Texas teams, depending on how you want to do it, and, and you make it a much tighter geographic division. And then it gets even better when you eventually go to 32 teams. And what I would say, Clay, is, and I think baseball feels this way: don't don't discount what the best fit is. If Nashville's the best fit. Go there. Figure out the rest of the details and how you're going to do the divisions later. I mean, go to the best city. I, I remember this. This is from my other favorite sport, hockey. There was one year when, of course, Atlanta moved to Winnipeg, and they had to figure out this crazy schedule because they moved like, um, like two months before the season started. And they basically had Winnipeg play in the Southeast Division for one year. 
and it was fine because it was for one year. Who cares? I mean, if anything has taught us something about the last year of American sports life, that you can have different travel arrangements and divisions, and the world keeps spinning, and you're fine. So if Nashville's the best place, and it might be, if Nashville's the best place, my advice is to go there. And, and to worry about the logistics later, you can throw them in the same division as St. Louis, Atlanta, a couple of the Texas teams, have fun with geography, but then go to the best city and worry about the details later. Yeah, it's interesting because the Preds play in a Western Conference, right? Even though at times yeah. they're playing all the way out on the West Coast, using the Nashville Predators as an example, that somewhat happens already. How does the process work? So, uh, and I know you probably haven't read the bylaws specifically, but Major League Baseball, it seems fair to say, is interested in expanding. And by the way, I think a lot of leagues could be interested in expanding because it's one way to kind of band-aid over the COVID revenue losses, right? So everybody out there, for people out there who don't really understand the way expansion works, the expansion fee is distributed evenly among all of the different owners. So let's say, I'm just kind of tossing it out there, uh, let's say, and, and, and you know, the math is $3 billion for a franchise. Probably high, but let's just say it was. In theory, that $3 billion or $1 billion or $2 billion would be evenly distributed among all of the franchises. So if you had a revenue shortfall, one way to make up for that COVID shortfall would be expanding and adding the number of teams that are available in the league. I think the NBA could do this. I don't know about hockey. It wouldn't stun me, but I haven't paid as much attention to it. You may have. Major League Baseball also seems like that could be uh, happening. Maybe even the NFL. I don't know, but I think that can be an impetus towards the idea of expansion. Well, you're right, Clay. And here's the interesting part about this. With respect to that number, Rob Manford is on record as, as having at least floated the idea of it being $2.2 billion per franchise. So if you realize you're going to by automatically go to 32, so that's actually $2.2 billion times two, you're at $4.4 billion. Divide that by 30 existing teams, those guys are doing pretty well. That's a, that's a pretty good amount of money, to your point, uh, to share. Now, obviously, once the, the teams are in there, then you're starting to, to share your national media revenues and, 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 and uh, advanced media, et cetera, your, your denominator is now 32 instead of 30, but that's the annual basis. This is the, to your point, Clay, the one-time infusion of $4.4 billion divided by 30, which is a lot of money. Yeah, I and think I if think I did my math right, and that's always kind of – almost $150 million per individual yes. team, right? So uh, massive. Yes. I mean, that's I – mean, so, so I mean, that is a huge windfall – and to your point, it happens at a time when a lot of clubs, maybe they, you know, think about some teams that had, like, like the Braves, for example, there's the, the notion of, of the mixed use and, and, and the commercial and everything else. You, you weren't bringing in the same revenue streams that you were expecting, even from your ancillary businesses. So this really is, is, is huge money to have come in. And I think, Clay, from that standpoint, you really see the, the wisdom in expanding I think it's going to happen. It's just a question of when. Um, and, and, and I do think 32 teams, the commissioner has said this for years, it's much easier to arrange a league with 32 teams than 30 because you can then schedule, you can do eight divisions of four teams. And that allows you to do a lot more creative scheduling. I've always been a believer, Clay, that once you go to the universal DH, then car, and, and hopefully 32 teams, carve it up where you've got eight teams. This is a fun exercise to do sometimes eight divisions of four teams apiece, put the Yankees and Mets together, put the Angels and Dodgers together, 
put you know, you do different things where where you cut down on travel and you boost these regional rivalries. I love that like, idea. It, it's so great to have Atlanta playing Nashville, you know, twenty times a year. I mean, or Nashville playing St. Louis. I mean, you know what a unique franchise that would be in Nashville because you've got a lot of uh, second and third generation fans of the Reds or the the Cardinals or the Braves. But if you if you plop Nashville and have that as a, as a division with those other teams, you'll have family members that have different allegiances. It'd be, it'd be great for the game to kind of find that who your new team is. It would actually, I think, it'd be phenomenal for baseball. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. He is Officer Dion Joseph, 25 years with the Los Angeles Police Department. He wrote an open letter to LeBron James in the wake of LeBron James posting the photo of the Columbus, Ohio police officer and demanding accountability. I read from that letter uh, on this program. Many of you responded very favorably to it. I know we have a lot of law enforcement officers all over the country who start off their morning listening to us uh, with OutKick, and I appreciate all the work that you guys do putting your uh, lives and your liberty on the line as you do every single day. Officer Joseph, thanks for joining us. Uh, And for people out there who may not have heard about the letter that you wrote and your background, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself, if you could, to our audience. And thanks for starting off early with us here. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm Dion Joseph. I've been a veteran of law enforcement for 25 years. Um, I've worked with the homeless uh, for 23 of those years. Uh, working with my fellow officers, we've helped house and shelter homeless and uh, try to keep crime down and just try to keep the wolves from hurting the sheep. Uh, and that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Um, you know, um, when LeBron made that tweet, it, it upset me uh, for uh, two reasons. Uh, one, you know, here's a hardworking blue-collar officer who had to make a decision. He stepped into chaos to make a decision that no police officer wants to make, uh, and, which resulted in the tragic loss of a life of a someone so young. But I understood the actions he took based on the totality of the circumstances. And the other reason is... Uh, that could have easily been me, you know, on four occasions. Uh, I almost had to take somebody's life. And I can only imagine what somebody with such influence and 50 million followers, uh, the, the hatred that could have been brought upon me for making a decision I would could have made by somebody who's so influential and powerful. So instead of being angry with LeBron, uh, I actually understood LeBron because before I was a police officer, uh, I, I thought just like him. You know, being a young African-American male, I was kind of conditioned to believe that the police were my natural enemy and they could do no right. And that was based on what I was exposed to, you know, and then a couple of incidents where I was racially profiled didn't set well either. But I was only exposed to the negative exception of law enforcement through TV, through music. And uh, the only difference between me and LeBron is that I stepped across the line to see the other side. And on the other side, it's not what people are making it out to be. Uh, most men and women who put on a badge and gun are are hardworking, dedicated individuals. And yes, I acknowledge there's a negative exception, like there isn't any profession, but I just uh, felt his tweet was uh, was highly misinformed and also inflammatory. It could have easily put that officer in danger, even though I don't believe that was his intent. I don't believe that he, when he put, a, put an arrow on that officer, that he uh, was saying, 
the harm should come to the officer. He just wanted to see the officer prosecuted. But you understand, he has 50 million followers. And with 50 million followers, you know, there's going to be some crazy folks who are going to take that a whole different way. As a matter of fact, there was an officer, uh, I don't know what, what part of the country he uh, was involved in a justified shooting. And of course, you know, the haters kept putting out there he was a murderer. And some young man showed up at his house and shot up his house. So these are things that people, especially if you're a high profile person or, or a politician, you have to think about before you, you tweet and just wait for the facts to come out before you say anything. So that's why I wrote the letter. It was a fantastic letter. We're talking to Officer Dion Joseph, who wrote a letter to LeBron James asking for LeBron to sit down and have a conversation with him about many of the things that you just laid out there. Fabulously well-written letter. Have you heard anything from LeBron or anyone at the Lakers since you published your open letter asking to have a conversation with him? Well, I'm aware that they know, uh, but I haven't heard anything. And I don't expect to hear anything uh, primarily because – uh, a letter that I wrote with with the desire of openness and love. You know, uh, unfortunately, some folks got a hold of it, and the tagline was more or less making it seem like my effort was adversarial. Black cop comes against LeBron James. A cop blasts LeBron James. So I'm sure he probably only read the tagline and probably hasn't even read the letter. Uh, you know, uh, so I don't expect that to happen. And, and even if that doesn't happen, I still think he's a great man who, uh, you know, the things, the charitable things he's done for children. And he has a big heart and uh, he reminds me of myself in that way too and also he's purple and gold i'm never going to hate him but you know i don't think it's gonna, i don't think it's going to happen i don't think it's going to happen all right we'll get back to that in a sec but i want to go into your life a little bit so you grew up a huge laker fan did you grow up in the los angeles area yourself Born in, Long, born in Los Angeles, raised in the LBC. Uh, and uh, yes, uh, I've been a huge Laker fan. My dad was a fan since their inception. And then uh, I became a fan in 1979 when I saw uh, Magic and uh, Kareem do their thing back then. And I was hooked ever since. Uh, I love the Lakers, even when Vladdy Divac and Nick Von Exel was playing, you know. So, you know, I, I, I'm not a fair weather fan, you know. So where one man doesn't uh, make a whole team. So uh, whether he calls me or not, I'm going to love the Lakers till I die. Who's your favorite Laker player? Uh, you said you've been a fan since 79. Who's your favorite player over that time? Who have you enjoyed watching the most? Of all time, my GOAT is Magic Johnson. This is a guy who made other players better, but this is a man who could also score. Magic Johnson could have won scoring titles, in my opinion, but he chose to make other great players that much more, that much better. So uh, I love watching this man. Uh, it was like rock, watching a rock concert when uh, when you saw the Lakers play in the 80. It was just electric. Uh, we're talking to Officer uh, Dion Joseph. All right, so I, I want to talk a little bit about your experience as a police officer in the larger context here. You've been a police officer for 25 years in the L.A. area. You've been through a lot of different uh, difficult circumstances, good circumstances. How would you assess in the public what you see now the relationship between citizen and officer compared to over the last generation? Better, worse, how has it evolved and changed since you began your, your service as a law enforcement officer? Well, right now, I think it's fractured, but we don't even have to go back that far. Pre-pandemic, uh, I think that we were having a pretty good relationship. Well, I can't speak for every department. I can only speak for my own and where I work. Uh, we were having a pretty good uh, relationship. Uh, uh, right at the start of the pandemic, we were driving through the streets at 8 o'clock, and people were hanging out their windows, clapping for us and thanking us for our service. Prior to the pandemic, we were having regular meetings uh, with all kinds of community members, uh, parolees, gang members, and just having these real conversations and, and 
and, and developing really great relationships. Uh, and I can only speak for my department, like I said. And then once the pandemic hit, uh, uh, it kind of forced everyone into their silo, into their homes. And uh, then the uh, horrible events of uh, in Minnesota with that murderous uh, Derek Chauvin, and I don't care what anybody says, that was a cold-blooded murder. Uh, folks being forced to kind of like watch you know, negative news story after negative news story. Uh, it, it kind of uh, created a lot of anger in people's hearts and mistrust. And uh, you could feel it. You could cut the tension with a knife everywhere you went. And then came the protests and the riots. And uh, uh, that was very uh, disheartening for our officers, you know. And we know that most of the people that came down here and caused the destruction weren't even from L.A., you know. But, uh, but still, to have to endure that. And then when they left, the fallout is people having a negative taste in their mouth about policing for something that I never did. I would That's something that I don't condone and that my fellow officers don't condone and that had nothing to do with us. Uh, there's a lot of damage that's uh, that's been done. And it's not just the uh, George Floyd situation. It, you know, there are other incidents throughout uh, uh, over the years, but they take those incidents and they use that to paint all officers with a broad brush and completely fracture the relationship to the point to where, you know, they don't want us in community meetings. They don't want us uh, in parks, they don't want us, uh, you know, engaging in the ways that we need to engage to help keep people safe. And as a result, you can see uh, crime skyrocketing. Uh, the other disheartening factor is uh, our politicians. Uh, uh, you know, look, it's one thing when Joe living in his mom's basement, smoking weed and, you know, uh, watching cop hate videos all day long, hates the police. Uh, that's, yeah. uh, we get why that happens. But when it's a political leader, uh, you know, uh, espousing the same things as Joe on his laptop, Top, that's when it's time to be concerned. It just feels like in some cases, in some places across the country, we don't have leaders. We have followers in leadership positions. And they literally allowed, uh, you know, uh, officers to take so much abuse and then threw us under the bus. And I would have gladly taken a rock some bottles if somebody said, hey, you know, that wasn't our cops. And I understand how you feel, but you're not going to destroy our city. But not one, not one across the country said that. So right now it's there's fractures, but I still believe there's hope. You know, my job as a senior lead officer at my my department is to bring people together. And I've done that successfully in the roughest of neighborhoods. That's why I think that I could build bridges with LeBron or, you know, someone of that stature where we can work together to save lives on all sides. Defunding the police, I've argued on this show, and we're talking to Officer Dion Joseph. He's a 25-year veteran of the L.A. Police Department who penned an open letter very eloquently to LeBron James asking for the meeting between the two men to happen to try to bring people together as opposed to tear them apart. Defunding the police is, I think, the dumbest argument that has ever been made uh, in the 21st century. Uh, and and what's, what's crazy, I'm, I'm glad you're calling out politicians, by the way, of, of all stripes, uh, Officer Joseph, because... When you look at the data, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, people don't want to defund the police. They know that you guys are integral to the safety of their communities. And as you mentioned, you guys are not perfect as no people who are human are perfect, right? It doesn't matter what the profession is. But the the idea that politicians would line up behind and give their voice, lend credence to, as you said, guy sitting in his basement watching anti-cop videos – I mean, to me, it's one of the failures of American public policy of the of the largest degree that we've seen in the 21st century. Right. It feels like, you know, across this country, we don't have leaders anymore. We have followers in leadership positions, and they go with what's hot, with, what, with what's hot right now. Yeah, but, uh, because whatever the viral video say, is, yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. It seems to be an anecdote right now. It's an anecdote-driven culture. 
Yeah, they go with what's hot, and then they end up making knee-jerk policy. Uh, knee-jerk policy to either defund, cut funding, or take away tools and even training, which all comes with defunding, that we need to improve. Like I said, there are a lot of big city departments that, you know, if people take their emotions out of it, they'll see that they've improved. They're more diverse. They're, they're more culturally sensitive than ever before. Uh, but nobody can see that now because now, once again, we have politicians who are just sounding just like the average Joe, uh, you know, uh, and not thinking. And these these politicians have had police. They've worked side by side with police. They've been at the table with police. They say to our face, hey, we need you guys. But then they get on camera and say something else. And uh, it, it's really doing a lot of damage. It's creating a wider chasm, uh, you know, than I've ever seen before. And that pendulum has to swing back soon or we're going to lose big city after big city. I believe that in a couple of years, every big city in America is going to be New York in the 1990s, and that's already happening. Crime's going up, and if you really care about people of color, if the black lives really matter to you, you're going to take a stronger stance and say, hey, look, yeah, we get police forces. They need to evolve. We get, and we're trying to make that happen, but we can never sacrifice the safety of people, because right now, where you're trying to fight what you believe or feel is racial inequities in police forces, there's a bigger racial racial iniquity happening with crime right now, like I haven't seen since the early 2000s and the 90s. So I think this is a really big point, and I appreciate you getting up early and starting out with us uh, this morning, Officer Dion Joseph, 25 year veteran of the LA Police Department. I can I can feel it almost through the the phone lines here and through the uh, through the entire radio universe. There's a lot of police officers out there nodding along with you. It feels like to me, and you tell me if I'm wrong here that many athletes think they are making the world a better place by criticizing police officers in particular and demonizing police officers when in reality they are that their their goal may well be a good one right that they're trying to make communities yeah. safer and protect people but they're actually making things worse for as you said many black and brown people all over the country because the tension that's being created either between police and uh, the community creates more awful situations right because people resist arrest and it creates all sorts of uh, of of further issues and or people are police officers are pulling back which allows the criminal element to sweep in and their victims are innocent black brown asian and hispanic uh, and, and white people as well who otherwise would have been able to be protected by police am i getting the overall storyline right from your perspective based on uh, what i just said Oh, absolutely. You have celebrities and high-profile people who would rather be relevant than right. And and these individuals, especially, in my opinion, have to take a step back and embrace objectivity. You may see something that's shocking to you, but what I tell people is please wait for all the facts to come out before you jump to conclusions. Look, I hate neutrality. People who are neutral to me on any issue are cowards, and you can't stand with me if you can't stand for anything. But uh, objectivity is important because objectivity forces you to take a step back, look at all the facts, put things into context, and find the right place to land. And what's happening now is these high-profile celebrities and people in high high places are not even looking for the right place to land. They just want to sound good. They want to put credit on their woke pass or whatever card they're they're trying to put credit on. And they are making it worse uh, when they engage because now what you're creating is in people's minds are fight-or-flight primers to where now you you pull over an 
old lady and she starts crying thinking you're going to shoot her. This didn't happen five years ago. 99.9% of the people I stop or pull over, it goes pretty normal. They know. 10 and 2, give me your license. Now it's, are you going to kill me, officer? Now they're filming me, which is their right. Uh, but it's delaying uh, to making a seven-minute traffic stop into a whole other situation that it doesn't have to be. And uh, it's really frustrating for us because it's making it unsafe, not just for us, but also the community members as well uh, during these traffic stops. So, yeah, you're 100% right. Uh, that needs to change as soon as possible. And that's one of the reasons why I would like to meet with anybody, if, if not LeBron, anybody who's willing to sit down and, and hear the other side that I'm sorry, my job is not a, my, on a day-to-day is not a reoccurring scene from training day. I'm sorry. That's not what I see day-to-day, you know, but people were actually believe that every day we're shooting 10,000 black people a day and that's just not happening you know that's just not happening is that social media that's basically beating people over the head with the idea that these things that are not representative of larger police activity that people think this is going on all day long because you mentioned somebody old lady you pull over and I saw a video went viral. I think it was out of L.A. I'm sure you saw it as well, where a Hispanic police officer pulls over a woman. They blurt out her face, but she's saying, oh, you're a murderer. Oh, you're going to kill me. She's got her camera out. She's filming him. And, uh, you know, he's being as professional as he possibly could in what is a really difficult situation. That is becoming all too common, I'm assuming, in representative fashion for some of the interactions that you guys are having that didn't used to be the case. Absolutely, absolutely right. And we've had in in my life, twenty five years, I've had people I pull over and they call me everything but a child of God. But I've never seen it at this level. So yes, yeah, social media has a big hand in it, and some, not all, some media outlets who are you know they love to catch eyeballs with the headline, you know. Yes. But uh, and then the, the, but the devil's in the details. But the details are the way at the bottom. So we're living in an area where era where people are more intelligent than ever, but they're uh, less intellectually diligent than ever. You know, it's just give me the give me give me what uh, tell me what you're telling me now. Forget about the facts. And they read the headlines and then they run with it. And uh, that's what's happening. And social media is so dangerous right now to where you have people actually editing videos uh, or putting captions to guide people to a thought. And then with one click of a button, you have four million people hating one police officer. And then by the time the video comes out uh, with all the facts, your city's burned down, your police department's handcuffed, and you're wondering why the police uh, uh, don't respond as, as quickly as they used to, uh, as they downsize officers, retire officers, quit. And our policy uh, really handcuffs in us, can't handcuffs police officers in trying to make a real difference out there in the way we know we're supposed to. What do you think would happen? I'm going to use this as an example. I went to law school and I didn't have a lot of experience with police officers growing up. And one of the things they would encourage us to do is do a ride around. I don't know how common mm-hmm. ride arounds still are, but for young lawyers, you can learn, hey, this is what the job of a police officer actually consists of. It's amazing. It's eye-opening. I would encourage anybody out there who's interested in the law enforcement field to try and do mm-hmm. this. What do you think would happen if you had LeBron or any member of the Lakers, for that matter, riding around in your police car for a few hours in a day to see what you did on a day-to-day basis? What do you think that, that basketball player or that athlete in the L.A. area, it could be a Dodger player, it could be a Laker, it could be a, you know L.A. King, whoever it is, what do you think they would feel at the end of the day having watched you do your job? 
it would be life-changing. And here's the thing. We've done that before, not just through ride-alongs, but also through Citizens Academies, where it's an 11, 11-week uh, Citizens Police Academy, where you basically get put in our shoes for 11 weeks. Uh, and it's life-changing for most people. And the other things I've, that we've done is I've taken over 3,500 college students and activists on uh, Skid Row tours to make them understand policing in the, in the areas like Skid Row. And by the time I'm done, it only takes two hours for me to erase two semesters of indoctrination that the police are inherently evil and want to destroy homeless people. But all it takes is those two hours to just listen to the other side, to fill in those blanks that their college professor is not telling them, and those realistic uh, uh, reasons why people are on the streets and why we need to be able to do our job so that people can actually benefit. So absolutely, uh, we've done this. We know it works. Uh, right now, we just have to close that chasm and tear down those walls so we can get someone like a LeBron James or anybody uh, to go through a shoot or don't shoot simulation and then put themselves in a situation the officers have been in and see how you would react as a human being. See, what people don't get is police officers. We, our job is as difficult, as, as unpredictable as humanity is, and we're just human beings doing it. Fear is real. People say all the time, well, if you're an officer, you shouldn't be afraid. That's stupid. Uh, I didn't stop being human when I put on the badge. It's just the difference between you and I is I have to find a way to reset and push past my fears to complete a goal where you have the luxury of hiding and running. I have to try to stop it. And fear sometimes causes mistakes. Fear causes maybe an overreaction sometimes. We're just human beings. But if you could just put yourself in our shoes for a second. I mean, we've seen hardcore uh, anti-police activists change their tune just by going through a scenario or shoot, don't shoot. So, uh, But right now what we're seeing is uh, the current mood is we don't want to hear the truth. We don't care. You can show me all the data. We don't care. We don't want to hear it. And when you get to that place as a, as an activist, as a leader, as a celebrity or an influencer, we're in trouble as a society. And uh, that's when, when you get to that place, it's, it, it, I don't foresee the future looking very bright for the public safety. Can you come back with us for five more minutes? I want you to finish off the show because I think people out there, I think you're having a compelling uh, impact, and for at least for my audience, being able to hear from you, Officer Joseph. Yes, sir. This is Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. O'Reilly Auto Parts, you know, o o o O'Reilly, who are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free, in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you find just the right battery for your vehicle. When you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job stop by o'reilly auto parts and ask about their loaner tool program simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool then get your deposit back when it's returned need your windshield wipers replaced a brake light fix or a quick service they'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice you'll find the employees at o'reilly auto parts are knowledgeable helpful and best of all friendly the professional parts people at o'reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash 2pros. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash 2pros. 
Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. You make every play, you call every shot, from choosing trusted financial products to deciding how much and how long to invest, GameBridge puts the power in your hands. No wonder they've earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. They give you the tools you need to save and grow your money with reliable returns and take charge of your financial future. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. So change the game. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, Demarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to do That's my, my dance, <laughs> Hey, it's Jonas Knox. You've put it off long enough. It's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort. Performance tires for sporty handling. All-terrain tires for on- and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin? Use the Tire Decision Guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from the full line of hand-cooked tires. Shipped fast and free to a recommended installer near you. Or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation. They'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site. It doesn't get much easier than that. Go to TireRack.com sports to see their hand-cooked test results, tire ratings, and consumer reviews. And be sure to check out all the current special offers. Great tires and a great deal. What more could you ask for? That's TireRack.com sports. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Officer Dion Joseph, L.A. Police Department, 25 years with us. Officer Joseph, do you have a favorite song that references the L.A. area as a longtime L.A. resident, fan of the Lakers since 1979? If you had to flip on your radio right now and listen to a song, what song would you want to hear? Montel Jordan, This Is How We Do It, is a uh, is an icon, a party classic uh, that we're playing right now as we come back. Is there one that you love? All right, now, this is weird. Now, I love Montel Jordan. That was my jam back in 95. Oh, yeah. Nonstop. But this was weird, guys. You guys probably don't even know this song, but if you find it, you'll feel L.A. Uh, pumping through the song. It's called L.A. My Town, My Town by the Four Tops. And, uh, you know, and I listened to that song, and first I'm like, this song sucks. But then there's a part of the song that really breaks down L.A. that gets you pumped and gets you into it. So, yeah, My Town, L.A. My Town by the Four Tops was uh, 
That is fantastic. And by the way, you you are a uh, music uh, genius there. If you knew exactly Montel Jordan, 1995, that was when that song took off and absolutely dominated. I'm 42. I don't know how you are, but you couldn't you couldn't escape that song uh, in the uh, in the mid to late 90s. It was absolutely everywhere. We're talking to Officer Dion Joseph. So uh, you've been fantastic, and the feedback on this is going to be phenomenal and continues to be phenomenal. And uh, I appreciate you giving us your time because I know how busy you are. Let's say that uh, let's say that the Lakers do reach out to you because I bet there's a lot of people affiliated with the Lakers or the Dodgers or the Kings or the Rams, Chargers, whoever it might be. A lot of people start off their morning listening to us and they're thinking to themselves, I do want to make things better, not just in Los Angeles, but between police and uh, the community in this country. Because as you said, murder rates, shootings, all of it is skyrocketing all over the country. Doesn't matter what big city you're in or even frankly, what state you're in. What could right. athletes and what could sports figures in your mind, let's pretend that you're made uh, the czar of uh, athletic and, uh, and police relationship nationwide, which, by the way, I don't think would be a bad thing based on how great you've been on the show this morning. What do you think mm-hmm. constructively could be done to make things better? Well, being a senior lead officer for my department, uh, I have I have big ideas. And my hope with meeting LeBron, uh, I had a huge idea. We had something we did in Skid Row called the Trust Talks. Myself and a wonderful pastor named Delonte Goldston got together and said, we're not going to establish any relationships with the community or we're not going to stop this vitriol unless – we start talking. So we had something called the trust talks where we had uh, 10 tables, an officer at each table, a parolee, a gang member, a homeless person, a loft dweller, a service provider at a table, and we just humanized each other. And one of my grand ideas, if this uh, meeting with LeBron would have happened and would have went well, was to create an NBA, a nationwide trust talks where Chicago Bulls can meet with Chicago PD in that fashion and have mediators there. Uh, Lakers can meet with LAPD and Inglewood and all these uh, other departments in, uh, uh, in New York can meet with that. And so we can start humanizing each other and, and breaking down these barriers and walls. And they would start to see that uh, when they start seeing the heart of police officers, uh, they would start to change a bit. I, and we did that with the trust talks. As a matter of fact, you would think the individuals that we had at the trust talks was like, okay, we're one and done. We never want to do this again. Our trust talks was highly demanded by the community after one. And on average, we would have 150 to 160 people uh, from the community who wanted to keep talking to police officers because deep down inside, people want to trust us. But when we're in our silos, that can't happen. So my grand plan was to create a nationwide trust talk and hopefully get LeBron, since he's a leader in the NBA, try to get his buy-in on that and just let's sit down because everybody's hurting right now because the police departments are hurting, the NBA's hurting. Hey, let's just come together and stop this vitriol and, and just come to an understanding. And then from talking to each other, come up with solutions together. Uh, that was my grand plan. So I think that would work, uh, uh, work in, in volumes. I love it. I mean, I, I think whoever's out there listening uh, in sports leagues, and we have a lot of people out there listening, um, how could they reach you, Officer Dion Joseph? If somebody wanted, if somebody's out there listening right now in the L.A. area or any other part of the country and they're thinking, you know what, athletes interacting and having conversations with police would potentially start to rebuild bridges and create a better relationship for many people across this country, how would you suggest that they reach out to you? 
Oh, you can reach out to me at www.dionjoseph.org. Uh, my email is info at dionjoseph.org. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter, OFCR, Dion Joseph, or I have an Officer Joseph uh, fan page on Facebook as well. Uh, you can hit me up there, inbox me. Uh, but you know, I would love to uh, uh, meet and and. and coordinate something uh, of that nature on a grand scale. And if anybody can help me inspire that uh, or make that happen, I'm all the way ready. I'm ready. I've been born ready for this. <laughs> Officer Joseph, stay safe. Keep doing the good work that you are doing. Uh, I hope that uh, the Lakers find themselves uh, in the playoffs instead of just in the play-in series. And we'll have to see exactly how all that too. ends up shaking out. Uh, but I appreciate the time, and I hope that uh, we have helped, and I hope that this will lead to some constructive dialogue between athletes and policemen. Thank you for your work and uh, we look forward to hearing and want you to update us as hopefully this thing continues to grow. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and giving me a voice. I appreciate that. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. No wonder GameBridge has earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. When the time comes to plan your next big getaway, know we got a destination idea for you. Orlando. Just think about it. The thrills at their 15 world-class theme parks, followed by awesome outdoor adventures, amazing food festivals, and top-notch dining spots. Orlando has all that and much more than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. That's visitorlando.com for everything you need for an amazing getaway.